Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Joining me on the phone, it is author and media personality Carrie Stevens. She has a new book out called Unrated, Revelations of a Rock and Roll Centerfold. And of course, uh, KISS fans know that for a while she was Eric Carr's uh, girlfriend. And so a lot of lot of stuff in the book about that and about, of course, her life in general and uh, Alan, I'll, I'm going to get over to you. You know, we are posting this on November 29th, and Eric Carr passed away November 24th, 1991, the same day as Freddie Mercury. And and, and for for that reason, a lot of the media sort of, I don't want to say swept it under the rug because that almost sounds rude, but you know, Freddie Mercury died, so they sort of just relegated him to page six or or the end of the. Uh, were you uh, um, aware of Eric Carr's situation at that time? Were you aware of what was going on with him? Um, I was aware that he was not well. Um, as I recall, we had a sound man who worked with us on the uh, priest tour of 84 who was connected to the KISS world. Um, in fact, if I recall correctly, he was the one who took up with Bess after Bess left. But uh, I knew he was ill and I knew he was suffering from cancer. And, uh, you know, I've had a, I've had a number of people in my life go that way. And it always sends a chill down my spine when I hear somebody's got cancer. Yeah, it's an unpleasant, unpleasant thing to, to pull you apart. I want to ask you this, because over the years, there has been this discussion of what happened to Eric, and uh, and I wasn't there personally, so I don't know, but, but there are these rumors about uh, the insurance money, and the, the, the Kiss Inc. was doing stuff with the insurance because it was going to cost you, I don't want to get into that, but I'm going to ask you as a manager, let's say one of your members from whatever band, Great White or Guns N' Roses, had had a similar cancer, would you have had the approach of, hey, it's the music business, we're not here for hugs and kisses, and I got to do what it is, what I got to do for the bottom line, and you try to cut out that person? Or would you have said, hey, you know what, fuck the business, nature or or being human takes over, and I'm going to take, and I'm not going to mention any members' names of Guns N' Rooks, I don't want to give them bad juju, quite frankly, but how would you have responded if one of your band members had cancer? Would you have just said, fuck, I got to cut him out of this? Or you would have said, okay. Plainly, plainly and simply, Mitch, and you've known me for a little while now. Um, part, part of my uh, naivete, um, as it might be described, or perhaps my integrity, is the fact that as far as the music business went, I saw it as a way of life. It was 365, 24-7, and the relationships that you had within that occupation were far more profound than an ordinary nine-to-five relationship. And as far as I'm concerned, if somebody was sick, you looked after them. That's it, because there was a sense of family. Now, of course, when, you know, I was remembering just last night that when... uh, um, David Bowie took Axel out for dinner after they'd had their little handbag spat outside the cat house that evening. Bowie said something to Axel, which was totally fucking disastrous. He looked, he looked at Axel and he said, do you know why Mick and I, meaning Mick Jagger, why Mick and I are so successful? It's because we're businessmen before we're musicians. And that was the most insanely stupid thing to say to somebody like Axel at that time of his life. Um, The best of music is about spirit. It's not about the dollars and cents. The dollars and cents follow if you have the right spirit. And, you know, there are plenty of lawyers and accountants around to glom onto the cash flow and the gravy train but at its heart, music is about a spirit. And that means looking after those you love. 
See, I, I agree with that. I, I think that uh, a sense of humanity comes before a sense of finances, which could explain perhaps why I'm not a millionaire because I, I, I care about people. But uh, hold on, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to I'm going to make mention of one thing to you. Yes, I'm going to ask you one question. Have you ever seen a hearse with a luggage rack? No, there is there is no there's no uh, there's no U-Haul after a, after. After a uh, at the back end of the, the at the back end of the hearse, but uh, but but uh, I'll ask you this again, uh, but it just a little di- different twist on it. You're a manager at that time, and you see a competing band, uh, Scorpions or, or a Led, not a Led Zeppelin. They were done by then, but you you see a competing band, and you're you're talking to the manager, and he says, "Listen, I've got a guy who's sick, and I've cut him out." Do you understand it? In a in even though you're not, you're you wouldn't do it. Do you still understand and respect the decision? You know, Alan Kovac comes to you or, or whatever, or Spencer, Spencer Proffer, Proffer, Proffer. You know, they come to you and they say, look, I, I got to do this. Do you go, well, I get your decision. I mean, I wouldn't do it myself with my band, but I understand. Do you understand it or do you say to them, hey, Alan, the fuck? Uh, Kovac, I mean, hey, what the fuck? Come on, be a man, be, be human. Don't, don't do that to Motley Crue. Don't do that. How do you respond if it was happening and you're, you're hearing about it at a you know, dinner conversation? Well, at a dinner conversation, I suppose, in my inimitable way, especially back in those days, I might be tempted to shoot from the lip and, talk, and tell a guy that I think he's a profound and punchy Anglo-Saxon word. Yes. Okay. So, so, so basically... The litmus test for you, there, there, nothing passes. It's, it's no. Forget the, the dollars and cents. Forget it's a business decision. It's you got to go take care of your personnel. You got to take care of your people. I don't care who you are. Exactly. All right. And before we get misquoted anywhere on the internet, talking about Kovac or Motley Crue, that's, those are all just examples to get to a point, they are not. They, none of that is factual. None of none of those people had any of those situations. I just want to make clear because sometimes you get quoted and you go, "Mitch Lafon said." It's like, no, 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 no. Pay attention. Oh, listen, yeah. Mitch. How many times do I say to you, "The rule of the internet is don't scroll, scroll down." down I know. You scroll down, <laughs> I know. you get the trolls. I mean, I made the mistake of scrolling down on an on an old interview the other day, and they were going on, "Oh, he sounds bitter," and so on and so forth. And I'm sitting there and going. No, I'm expressing my point of view. And hey, motherfucker, get something fucking straight. I don't have a PR person going out and asking people to interview me. People come to me and ask for my point of view or my memory. So guess what? I'll give you my point of view and my memory. But I am not of a disposition to go out there and say, I, I want to make a point or I want to say this about that. I don't go out there and have a PR person securing interviews. Yeah. I just sit here, and if somebody wants to engage in conversation, well, fine. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I'll ask you this. November 25th, we were supposed to have uh, new Guns N' Roses music, according to the leak memo. The leak memo... <laughs> The leak memo didn't seem to uh, to give us anything. I, I've always thought that it was, uh, well, you know, what it's hard. You know, it's hard. Hey, it might it might have been I real, got, but with I Guns N' Roses, yeah. I got shown a piece of paper. It looked bona fide to me from my memory of uh, um, what papers looked like, you know, out in, the, in the past. Uh, all the, all the um, fonts and 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 uh, logos looked right from the stuff that I still get from Universal. And the track listing looked credible, and I know they've been working on something forever, and they've just decided that they're going to put out their um, bargain basement ticket prices for New Zealand and Australia. And quite honestly, guys, if you're going to go out there and charge that amount of money, you'd better have a new fucking record. The last fucking thing you put out was that cheesy fucking box set at $1,000. Whose brilliant idea was that? That was so naff, so damaging. You know, I mean, come on. You're a better band than that. You know what bothers me about that box set? Uh the uh, UFO, our, our great band UFO, put out a box set on November 20th this year. Eight CDs, seven shows. Uh, they put out a Strangers in the Night box set, right? Uh, you have the actual album that they put out back in back in whatever, 79. 
And then they have seven other CDs, which are the shows that they recorded, and they put them out in integrally. You know, the whole show, remastered, remixed, Ron Nevison got in there. How, guess how much this box set costs? Eight CDs, seven unreleased, completely remastered with a little booklet. The whole, bucks. Yeah, 45 bucks. There you go. <laughs> and and <laughs> and then you get Guns N' Roses, who puts out a box set, and it's a thousand bucks. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but it's not worth a thousand bucks. Well, you got a keychain and a knickknack and a right, still not a thousand bucks. Hundred and fifty, I would have, I would have complained, but I said, okay, hundred. But it it was such a fuck you to fans that I didn't even buy it, and I buy everything. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was. Not a good move all and, the way around. And quite honestly, looking at the prices for New Zealand and Australia next year, it's like, come on, guys. You know, how about showing that you're in it for something more than the money? You got any creativity up your sleeve? Does the memo actually say that there's something due to be released at some point and they're just holding it till the right moment that you decided, no, we'll put it out after Christmas in the hope that we're going to be all moving forward Let's in hope. a vaccinated way to be able to go to gigs. Um, I, I would be amazed if they haven't got something that they can't put out. And I would be amazed if it hasn't been around for a little while. They've had a year of COVID time off. Slash would probably spend a, most of that time in the studio. Um, come on. Yeah, no. Uh, pull, yeah. Your big, pull, pull, your, pull your musician's trousers up and let's see if you can still write rock and roll. You see, and, and UFO used to cover a song called Come On Everybody. And it's like, yeah, come on, everybody. Let's, let's get this thing released. And I don't have the uh, Australian prices in front of me for the tour. The, but I think they're like 250 or 300 Australian dollars a ticket, which... I think in Canada it's almost at par. I think it's almost one for one. So, so three hundred bucks to go see a stadium show. I mean, I'm sorry if you're at the Whiskey a Go Go and I can, you know, you know, smell your sweat. I'll give you three hundred. But if I'm sitting in, in the upper rafters at a stadium, bugger off. I mean, watching know. a big screen. Yeah, I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 I'll finish on this. The 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 numbers on the box set. You and I discussed it before. I think they had sold, when we had discussed it like a year ago, they had sold like 14 of them or 15 of them. <laughs> and then they discounted it. Know. And then they discounted it. And I think they got it down to like 300 bucks. But it was just like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Now, that said, yes, I'm, I am saying some negative things about GNR. I love the band. I would love a new album. Uh, but I, I, I don't think you can totally fanboy and just say, oh, everything they do is absolutely a great oh, decision. Oh, come on, you know. Mitch. No. I mean, you know, we may, we may be bagging on them a little bit, but what's the motivation of the bag? The mo motivation of the bag is, hey, pull your britches out. And remember you know, the fans. This is a great, this is, no, this is, no, remember who you were. Yeah. You were a great fucking band. Let's revisit that. Come on, get some spark out there. We need a good rock and roll record. We haven't had one for an awful long time. You know, that's, that's where my, my viewpoint comes from. It's like, you know what you can do. Let's revisit that to a certain degree. Yes, I fully that's agree. And I'd agree even better if I actually <laughs> turned on the microphone. Ah, but uh, let's get over to uh, Carrie Stevens, Unrated. Revelations of a Rock and Roll Centerfold. Uh, the book is available now, and the audiobook is coming down the pike very, very shortly. But is trust there a me, picture book? there are great pictures in it of, of her and of Eric Carr and, and all kinds of other associates and so on and so forth. But uh, I will tell you this the audiobook will definitely be out before Guns N' Roses puts anything out ever again. <laughs> Ah, uh, and see, uh, anyway, here we are. Uh, here is Carrie Stevens. We are speaking with uh, author, TV personality, uh, Carrie Stevens. The new book, which I'm going to have to put in front of my face, is called Unrated. And it, it is a fabulous, fabulous read. Mostly because I, I looked at some of the people that you, you've been associated with, David Lee Roth, Eric Carr, and Howard Stern, and I was like, 
that that should be me. I I, I like the <laughs> yeah, I like those yeah, three people to, but but yeah. And the degrees of separation between them all, I noticed in my book. Um, <laughs> everyone knows everyone. I didn't know that at the time, but yeah. I I know that very well. When you do the rock and roll thing, you say something and, you, and then you hear it back from somebody else. And you go, oh, okay. I didn't realize you knew him too. Whoopsie. But all right, let, let me talk about this book. First of all, what compels you to write a book like Unrated? Cause you, and I mentioned Howard Stern in passing, but he's always been very private. When he when he had his divorce, he had his, his moments of running around, but he never named names. He was always very quiet about that, always – when you write something like that and you start bringing out names, do do you get concerned about backlash or what's going to happen? Or are you at a point in your life and your career where you just say, the hell with them. I'm just going to tell my story and deal yeah, with it. Um, um, I didn't think about, well, and, well, referring specifically to Howard, I didn't think about any backlash at all because A, I have nothing negative to say about him. B, right. He, went, he, he was between marriages. Right. Um, so, um, and I think that, I mean, I'm not in touch with him anymore, but I got to know him pretty well. And um, I think all of us get to a certain point in our lives where Ooh. we're happy about what we did in the past. And I think that anything I said, he would probably take as a compliment and I'm actually not the only person to have come out and talk about him. Robin Gibbons recently uh, was talking about how great he is in bed. So um, <laughs> she, she beat me to the punch there. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I didn't, you know, there's, I'm not to make myself sound like a complete slut over here, but, you know, there's other names, too, that are not in the book. Right. Um, I chose the ones uh, that had the most meaning to me and, and the ones that were the most interesting. And I think that uh, Howard was unexpected. Right. And, and I think it, it's interesting that, um, you know, I didn't start out as a fan or even liking him at, at all. Yeah. And then you mentioned that very clearly. Very, very dear to me. And I will always remember him as that sweet guy who supported me through my unplanned pregnancy. He was wonderful. Yeah, he absolutely was. So, so let's get into into the the beginnings or the genesis of your your rock and roll love affair. Because I know you know on Twitter I always talk about rock and roll, and you seem to follow that and like that. And and you you did the rock star movie. Uh, talk to me about that first concert experience when you went to see David Lee Roth. You weren't even a fan of Van Halen, which I don't even know how that's possible. I've never, oh, I hadn't heard of them. Um, <laughs> how is that possible? I mean, We're the same age. Them, I mean, I was so young um, and, you know, I grew up in the country listening to, you know, all classic rock. But, of course, my mother had, you know, Paul McCartney and the Wings and, and the Beatles and all that stuff. And then the classic rock. And um, the first concert I ever went to was Journey. And I had the worst seats. All I saw was Steve Perry's ass the entire show. Um, Some might then, say those are the best seats. <laughs> Maybe. Well, at the time I wasn't thinking that way, but <laughs> I think I was 14. Um, anyway, so uh, Van Halen was the second concert I ever went to. Wow. So um, I think that moment right. when, I mean, some kid from the school bus gave me tickets. I, you know, I didn't know who they were, but we went, we had floor seats and then David Lee Roth came out. I remember it like yesterday. And I walked into that arena one girl and I walked out another girl and I'm still that girl. Like I'm still a, a rocker chick. I'm a huge fan of music and um, it makes me happy. I'm not no different than anyone else. It especially makes me happy um, to hear, you know, I still like the stuff that I grew up with, the 80s stuff. And um, it, it, it takes me to another place. You know, like I, I don't want to, have like politics and all this conspiracy theories and the heavy stuff, you know, all the time that's thrown at us, you know, on social media. I don't want to hear about the virus all the time. You know, to me, like it's an outlet. Rock and roll is an, is an outlet for me. Um, I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of people. It's oh, totally it's, for me. I mean, it, yeah. it's, it's my everything. That's what I do all day long. You know, I, I spend a lot of my day dealing with different issues that, you know, could, 
run somebody down. And so rock and roll is the thing that sort of lifts me up. And it's nice to see it, you know. And, and if you look at, for example, on my Twitter feed, I don't do the whole political thing. I don't do Trudeau or Trump or Biden. I don't do that stuff. I don't do religion. It's just just rock. Thank you. Just rock. <laughs> just rock. Right. And, and, and that's 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 a nice escape. So um, I want to get into the whole Van Halen thing first and then we'll get into into Kiss and Eric Carr and, and, and all that other stuff. But um, so you go to this show and it's life changing. Was it just the, the, the show was bigger and bolder than what uh, Journey was doing? Was it because of the, of the four guys on oh, stage? Journey, I told you I didn't even see anything besides Steve Perry's ass. My seats were like behind um, the stage. Um, and then, well, yes, Van Halen is completely different um, than the Journey show. I mean, like, uh, you know, they're jumping in the air and doing splits. And, you know, it seems it feels like a party that you want to be a part of. You know, you like you just want to go party with those guys. Um all I wanted after that was to meet a long-haired guy. <laughs> and there, there was none where I grew up. It's not um, working for me. <laughs> I bet you had it one day. So a long time ago. Um, but yeah. Like, 1984. My, fr- my friends in my small town, like, didn't get it. I'm like, I just want to meet a long-haired guy. I was a teenager. Um, but in the sticks where I lived, like, nobody had long hair. Mm-hmm. So I found plenty of them later in California. <laughs> but uh, so but Massachusetts. I, I want to talk to you about uh, Eddie Van Halen, because as we know, he's passed away, you know, God rest his soul. But he meets you backstage at a Kiss show, and he sees Eric Carr, or you meet him with Eric Carr, and he says to Eric uh, about his cancer, you know, hold on, and, and and here we are all these years later, and he passes away from cancer. Does that moment in your book and now take on a new significance? And I don't want to talk about irony or coincidence or but but do you look no, at that moment I, and replay it? it? Of course it. Uh, yeah, of course I went back. You know, it was a very difficult day. Uh, I was bawling my eyes out all day. Um, all my old friends, like, you know, Mark Treen from the Bullet Boys, Jimmy DeAnda and <sighs> and Mark Ferrari, like all, all of us, because we were all in the scene. Um, Right. You know, coming up in the scene in the late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, we all knew that our hearts were breaking and reached out to each other. And, yeah, I was talking to Mark and um, I was we were talking about I told him about my book because he hadn't read it. I told him about the part in my book where Eddie's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry to Eric. And then uh, I because I, I Mark was really upset. And I said, I bet I can make you laugh. I, I have a story that will make you laugh. Let, let me tell you. So I told him that Eddie Van Halen story. Now, Eddie swooped in and said, nice tits. So fast that Eric didn't even notice and went right back to Eric. Oh, man, I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. And, you know, um, after I said it to Mark, I said, well, you know, at least, you know, Eddie had, what, 26 more years than, than uh, yeah, what was it, 24, 26 years? I don't know. I'm bad with math. November. What are we? What are we talking here? A 2020. It was 1991 yeah. for Eric. Yeah, November of 91. All right, so it, that's tw- 29 years, 28 years. Yeah, so I years. said he, at least he got 28 more years than Eric did. That's one way to look at it, but it didn't make me any happier. <laughs> you know, it's sad all the way around. I mean, it, Eddie was like our Elvis. You know, like yeah, Eddie, I've tried to explain to some non-rocker friends why I was so upset and I said he represented all of my dreams and my aspirations like everything that I wanted to do was basically because of Van Halen like right. I they they to this day like they inspire me I mean I, I, ne- I never I never lost the magic from that first concert I went to you know my heart that that the gift that they gave me that night and so, yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and this is how I explained it to, to folks like you who, who don't understand the rock and roll thing is when I was growing up and when we grew up at the, at the same time, you know, Elvis died and my mom was really upset. And I was like, oh, Elvis That's died. That's what I was telling a friend. Right. The and then, you know, Frank Sinatra died. And, yeah. I saw it on the news about Elvis, but I didn't really know who he was. I think I was like nine or ten. Right. And I... 
my mother was at the sink and I went over and I just heard it on the news. I said, Elvis Presley died. And she burst out into tears and started crying. And I was like, you know, because I didn't understand the significance, but... So sorry to interrupt. But, but no, but that, but that's it. That that it's the same thing, right? And then Frank Sinatra dies, and and you go, well, you know, and I don't want to sound disrespectful to them. That's not what I'm saying. But you you don't understand that you lose a part of yourself. So knowing that we can no longer go see Van Halen with Eddie, then that we can no longer go see you know UFO with Pete Way, that you lose a part of you. So there's a little chunk in you that dies at the same time, and and it's hard to sort of. Face it, felt, that. it felt like, like, not not that I'm young, but it felt like the end of my youth somehow. Like, it well, felt like. Well, yes, you and I, so, we we become our moms in the sense that we're at that age where our heroes won't be on the stage anymore, and we've had forty years of. Hey, next year I'm going to the Van Halen tour. Hey, next year I'm going to the Kiss tour. Hey, next year I'm going to go see Alice Cooper. And now we're getting to the point where, oh shit, next year I'm just gonna uh, stare at the wall. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Patty, that one hit me really hard, yeah. too. I had to pull over on the side of the road and start bawling. I'm like, why do I bawl over people I don't even know? But um, Because, you know, it, because I, it defines I, you. Yeah, I had just gone and seen them the summer before and up at Bottle Rock, the Napa Festival, and it was so awesome. And, yeah, you, you just feel like they're going to live forever. And, unfortunately, none it's of us are. But, nope. Um, but but they will live uh, with their their work and what they've left behind. Well, they left something <clears throat> behind. Yes. You know that we can enjoy forever. Yes. Yeah. You know, kind of uh, like Shakespeare still exists yeah, in a sense. Kind of like um, unrated. <laughs> yes. Yes. The unrated. Like, you know. Yeah. When I'm gone, everyone can enjoy my book. Well, they can. Now, they can enjoy it. Before. They can enjoy it now too. So let me get into. Um, well, actually, you know what? Before we get into uh, to Eric Carr, I, I want to ask you about the whole Playboy centerfold thing in the sense that once you do that, how does the uh, attitude towards you from men uh, change? Because, you know, they, 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 you know, they see you, they see you in Playboy and they, do they, do they start taking advantage of you? Is, is there a, a sort of like, oh, well, she was naked so I can see her naked. Now, like, does it become a, a very disrespectful? No. no, not at all. It okay. wasn't like that at all. It, it was kind of the opposite. It was like all of a sudden, uh, you're a rock star, you know, right. it made me famous overnight and everybody wanted me. Um, right. And I was well aware that they didn't want me for me. They wanted right. to say they banged Miss June, you know, right. so I, I didn't <laughs> I didn't fall for that stuff. Um, I did things my way and on my terms. I'm glad I was a centerfold a little bit older in life. I was 28 when it came out. Right. And, uh, you know, a lot of the girls that posed when they were 18 or 22. Uh, sorry, I just distracted myself with a thought. Okay, so let's, the, um, this is totally sort of on the subject, but sort of off. No, 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 go wherever you want, I, because I, 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 I have a whole interest in, in the trust issues that come up with, with something like, because, you know, when you're Eric Carr or you're Gene Simmons or how do you know when somebody likes you for you and how somebody likes you for what you represent or what you are? And and is that a, a difficulty you know, in life? It, it is difficult. And I've always had this feeling that whoever I end up with is going to be somebody that I've known for a very long time. Right. I don't know who he is yet, but I just have a feeling that it's going to be someone I've known for a long time because I do have those trust issues. And I think it's going to have to be um, somebody that I... I know well that will accept me for who I am and not throw judgments at me later right. like my relationships in the book that I explain how they right. wait till we're together for a couple of years and then start um, <laughs> picking apart my past and getting insecure and jealous like I need somebody um, who's very sure of themselves because I know I'd, I've led quite the life and somebody could be intimidated by it but that was the past and now is the present and yeah, which is kind of strange because everybody has a past. And so w when you're with somebody and they just worry about your past, it's like, hey, dude, or hey, lady, worry about the future. You, you can't, uh, we can talk about it all day. It's not so, going to change, <laughs> you know? It's so immature. And especially to someone like me who's lost somebody, like you realize how silly and petty that is. Um, 
because I wish I could go back in time and change yes. a lot of things, you know, when, you know. But ultimately you can't. And so you just no, got to so move on. So focus on making every moment um, the best you can. And, you know, otherwise there's no point in like getting jealous of somebody's, especially dead boyfriend or <laughs> a child or anyone from the past because the past is over. And, yeah. you know, well, okay. Let, let me let me ask you then about about Eric. So so you meet and you have this volatile relationship, which reading that to me was was I don't want to say shocking, but you know I met Eric a couple of times when I when he joined Kiss. I wrote him a letter and he actually wrote me back within like two weeks. I, I was like, yeah, wow, <laughs> like you know. And uh, I met him backstage at a and you know everybody always says, oh he's so nice and he always had interest to you. Like when when you met him backstage at the Montreal Forum, it was all about me instead of about Eric. It was like, hey, how how long you've been a fan? Hey, how long? And I've never encountered that. And and then I read the you know your relationship was up and down. And of course in my head I go, oh that can't be Eric. And then I said, well it's a relationship. Of course there's ups and downs. That's perfectly normal. Um, well I hope I didn't present it like there was. No 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 no. Uh, there was definitely more ups than, than downs, but you have to just understand I was 19 years younger than him. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I was only 18 when I met him and 22 when he passed. So um, I was immature right. and I'm sure a lot of it was my fault. Um, I, I couldn't fit everything in the book, but um, no, but the, I, 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 let me ask you this. Of the volatileness with that, that part was when, well, in the, in the beginning he was never mean to me. He just didn't want an 18 year old girlfriend. So I had to push for that commitment <laughs> until I got it. And then uh, it was when he was, well, we didn't know he was sick yet, but it was the end of the hot and the shade tour when he started to just give me the odd silent treatment uh, that I didn't know why. And, and um, just swung up and down. Now, now I believe that that cancer had already affected him and right. we just d- didn't know it. It was, invisible i mean it's uh i mean i'm not a doctor and i don't think but but that's the sense i got from the book was that he started acting strangely and this is this is how i interpreted the book was that he started acting strangely he was uh telling bruce man he was telling gene and paul and they weren't talking was he just sort of getting sick and it was just having an effect on his whole being and, and you just didn't realize that it was That's a symptom? That's my guess because it was like suddenly one day he just kind of changed. Um, and it was, he was so inward, just inward and just didn't want to talk. And it wasn't, it, it didn't make any sense. Like, and, he, and why I say I think it was him being sick is because it wasn't anything personal come to find out after all these years. Mm. I didn't even know until recently when Bruce told me that he's quit talking to Bruce around that time too. I knew he wasn't speaking to Jane and Paul. Um, So, and of course I was so young at the time, of course, you know, I was just hurt and thought it was all about me. And, and that was what I cared about our relationship, not, you know, what he had going on with the band. Um, uh, and then, you know, all these years later, if you look back and you reflect on it, I mean, I, I, it didn't take me this long to figure it out. I figured it out back when it was going on, um, when we found out he was sick. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, don't, I, I, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but I don't think you just, you don't, I, I happen to know, you don't just wake up one day and you suddenly have a heart tumor and terminal cancer. It grows for years and years and years. It's, it's, it's there. It just became, you know, yeah. symptomatic, um, unfortunately. Um, let me then ask you a little bit about that, that hot in the shade tour. So we have this stuff going on, as you just said, with Bruce and Paul and, and all that. Um, in terms of the performances and in terms of going out, you described that he was getting pale and he was having pains and this and that. Um, what else were you noticing on that tour? Because there, were, there was, of course, all kinds of business things going on. The tour was maybe not as successful as Kiss is used to. Um, what was sort of the general ambiance just around the camp, that Kiss camp at that time? Were they Were they having a good time on the road or were they trying to, to save a sinking ship? 
Uh, I don't know. Uh, all I know is um, I go out on the road and uh, I have memories of, uh, you know, the nights that they were leaving straight after the show um, versus Ben wife, Christina, and I would rush onto the tour bus. We were expected to be there waiting and they would come off the stage, straight up the stage, sweaty and all pissed off at each other. And <laughs> yeah, it wasn't fun party afterwards ever. It was like, um, you know, somebody was mad at somebody for not doing the right, you know, whatever. Like, you know, they were always overanalyzing the performance and it was tense and Christina and I sat in the back just quietly trying to stay out of it. Um, and then Eric and I did our own thing. You know, Eric and I were the ones that would go out drinking and go down to the bar and go out to restaurants. And, you know, we just did our own thing. I mean, Gene and Paul never came out with us. And Christina and Bruce did and Gary and his wife sometimes. Um, but mostly we were all just kind of on our own. And, and backstage was always very intimidating to me because Gene and Paul, like, it, like, you know, like I was scared to death. I was a teenager. I mean, I were in my early twenties. Like I was, I was always intimidated by them because they were. I mean, I had them like posters of them on my wall, and like it was just. It was always like a kind of surreal thing with them. But when I was with Eric, it was very real. The same experience you had with him is yeah. why I ended up. With, I ended up with him because he was so friendly and easy to talk to, and. Um, yeah, you know. <laughs> driving in that Toyota the first time. Was it shocking though for you for you though to to see what was going on backstage? Because when you're you know fourteen, fifteen, and you run off to the Journey show or the Van Halen show, and you're a rock fan, you think, "Wow, it's a it's a wonderful party," and then everybody's they're they're all best friends and they hug each other and they high five, and and then you get to see the reality. And I've seen that reality too, and not just with Kiss with other bands. And you go, "Oh, this is really just a business where they." you know, punch in and punch out. Was that, was that disappointing or, or shocking no, or educational? No, Eric, Eric and I had our own fun just because the band didn't have parties afterwards. It didn't mean that we didn't. And Christina and I were always like, while well, Kiss was on stage, because we'd seen the shows a million times. We were like backstage partying with Winger and Slaughter. Um, and then like, <laughs> we'd rush out to the bus and we didn't even watch the show. And Bruce and Eric were like, so how how are we doing? And we're like, oh my God, you were so great. Like, this is the best show ever. <laughs> Meanwhile, we were like flirting with Kip Winger the whole time or Hold something. But, <laughs> Which is funny, not, by the way. Not the way that like, we wouldn't have, you know, we just thought he was cute. We'd go get M&Ms from his room. Like, you know, we, we're just bored and silly. Uh, she's still one of my best friends. Um, Bruce's ex-wife, Christina. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. Um, I don't, I don't feel like I missed a thing. I'm actually really grateful that I was on the road with Kiss and not, you know, a heavy partying band. Because when I, I'm very proud that my book is not another Hollywood train wreck book. Right. Uh, it's a survival story. Right. And I think a lot of people assumed um, it would be one. But uh, I'm, here I am, still standing. And I think had I um, been, I don't know, name a band that did a lot of drugs. I, Motley, Motley Crue. Yeah, Molly Cruz, of course. Thank God I wasn't Nikki Six's girlfriend. I might have ended up on heroin or something. Um, or, you know, in jail for drug dealing or whatever. Well, well all right. I'll, I'll, let, me, let me turn to the serious then for a second. You do mention a DUI in, in the book. And you talk about going through a uh, pregnancy while having to do the DUI classes and stuff. What a nightmare. Yeah, and and you talk about it openly. You could have easily brushed that under the rug, and and I could have read the book and never have known, right? Um, yeah, but, why yeah, did you was, choose to include that? Because it was nineteen. Uh, because I'm an open book. Number one. Right. Um, number two. It was nineteen years ago. Mm-hmm. I've never had another DUI since. Right. Um, so I, I think I included it um, because it it just. It explained the loneliness of my pregnancy. You know, when I had, it took so, I did not get pregnant. I wasn't drinking while I was pregnant. I must have got the DUI just a couple days before I got pregnant because it was right. I I know I got pregnant in Seattle and it was the night before I went to Seattle. 
So I literally, like, yeah, got it the night before I got pregnant. But it took so long to process that DUI that seven months later, I'm still, like, I'm getting bigger and bigger. Every week I have to go to, you know, the, the classes. And then, um, you know, the guy next to me is like, think I told him I was pregnant. He's like, oh, I just thought you were getting fat. Right. You know. <laughs> How <laughs> then nice. But then you go to uh, the Mothers Against Drunk Driving yeah, and you walk in. And they yeah, just look at you and go, mm-hmm. I have to go, there's like 200 women there in downtown LA and I have to walk in and I gained 68 pounds. So I'm wow. huge. And I had to go and they're all glaring at me. Like I was drinking while I was pregnant. So yeah, I learned, I learned my lesson. I do not drink and drive anymore and never will again. That teacher told the whole class, we'd all be back. And I'm like, not me. And I was right. Wow. So, so including it in the book, is it somewhat cathartic where you just go, you know what, I've had this, you know, I've had this in a sense shame have by, by going in front of the, the mad and, and you just go, you know what, I'm just going to let go of it. I'm just going to let the people know. And it's out. Is that sort of the, the purpose? I was of- never, I never even thought twice about revealing the, the DUI. I never even, until you mentioned it, I never even thought of it as controversial. A lot of things that are really normal to me right. seem weird to other people. Like my son called me last night to tell me that his girlfriend's parents invited us over for Thanksgiving dinner. Me? Big, long, silent pause. And then I go, that's weird. (laughs) And then I had to step back for a minute. I'm like, he's 18. What was I doing at 18? Oh, my God. I was on Kiss's tour bus at 18. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm the weird one. My son's not weird. So and then I did have to ask him. I'm like, uh what do her parents know about me? Like, what have you told them? What has she told them? Like, cause I am self-conscious about, well, are they going to think that I'm like, you know, that single mom slut playmate chick or like, or are they going to be open-minded about who I am? Um, I guess that's why I'm comfortable. Um, I don't know, around my own weird environment, like my rocker friends and everybody. That, like, I like things to be out there in the open, like, just take me or leave me, you know? Well, and, and by the way, that's something that, that a lot of us have learned from Howard Stern. It's just better to be just straight up honest and then you don't have skeletons in the closet because it's there. So it's just like, okay. Um, well, in fact, talk to me about that a bit because you do have this past, but there is sort of a, this theory in psychology that, that every 10 years we become a whole new person. And and the example I always give is like, you know, you're five years old, you're wearing a Dora t-shirt, you're 15 years old, you'd never be seen dead in a Dora t-shirt. You're 25, you look back at your high school picture, you go, oh, how could I have that hair? And so every 10 years, we become this new person. Where are you now in terms of, of that? You know, are you still the rocker chick that wants to go out and date the, uh, you know, David Lee Roth, even if he's 70? Do you still, you know, where where are you in terms of just no, in I, life? I, I, People always get that wrong about me. I don't want to date rocker guys. I mean, just because I like the music doesn't mean I want to date one anymore. And I, you know, I have a lot of rocker friends. I I travel in those circles. So, um, you know, I and I'm not dating any of them um, currently. <laughs> no, I, I actually I don't even know what my type is anymore. Um, certainly since COVID, I. Don't even think about it. Um, but uh, I, I don't know when I stopped being that girl a very long time ago. But then off and on, you know, if one comes along, like 10 years ago, uh, I briefly dated a rocker guy, but uh, a couple months. Um, but not, I, no, that's, yeah, that I like I like the music. I'm pretty much a fan like everybody else. It's It's all about the music. Yeah, I, ha- I had a friend on Facebook, uh, another playmate. Someone asked, she posted about my book and somebody said, well, what's it about? And she wrote, I don't know, I didn't read it yet, but she's dated a, she's dated all these rock stars. And I was like, actually, I haven't. Um, it's mainly Eric right. um, and my silly crush on David Lee Roth that makes a funny story. But it's not like we really, we never dated. <laughs> right, I'm, I'm going to ask you about that story. Uh, I do want to ask you a little bit about... Uh, I'm trying to think. Do, do I want to ask you about Karen McDougal or do I not want to ask you about that? I, 
I think she's. I don't know why we want to give her the stage of my Fair. story. That, well, so let's let's uh, talk I, about something else then. Let's go over to Stay Young and Skinny. At the end of the book, you you mention a, a whole bunch of names and and you mention the thank yous and and you talk about Stay Young and Skinny, which is a website that I have in front of me. Uh, what is that product and and why are you endorsing it? And is it your company? Talk to me a little bit about that. My father is a scientist, and okay. my father has patented a molecular hydrogen that's bonded with the special fiber um, wow. that builds you up. So, yeah, so we, um, he is the one that developed the product and I am developing, um, I make it beautiful. Like, uh, right, you sell it. It's, well, yeah, I just rebranded the entire, it's, I'm about to relaunch. Um, it's called Skinny Snacks, um, but it'll, it'll still be stayyoungandskinny.com. Uh, of course, inspired by David Lee Roth. And um, so I just redesigned all the packaging and the ads. It's been a lot of work, um, but I'm th- grateful for uh, something to do during uh, this virus because, yeah, um, I'm used to just driving around in traffic in L.A. and I've gotten so much done, <laughs> you know, so much done, including finishing my book uh, and um, developing Stay Young and Skinny. So I don't miss the traffic, that's for sure. Yeah, no, it, we're we're much better off. And uh, I'll just uh, quickly say one thing. Uh, in your book, you also dedicated to Joey Casada, a friend of mine. Um, did he guilt you into that, or did he actually have to pay for it? <laughs> no, I, well, I thank Joey because Joey gave me a lot of advice on the book because he's he wrote a book and uh, he gave me lots of tips that were uh, that I used. Um, so. That's why I thanked him. And plus, you know, I actually didn't know what a huge Eric Carr fan he was until I listened to his book on audio. And it's like the whole thing's about Eric. I was like, oh, wow. I know. I've been talking to Joey for a while. Um, just I know him through uh, Eric's sister. She introduced us a couple of years ago to talk about some business things. And um, so I, I just didn't know what a huge Eric Carr fan he was until then. And I, so I also wanted to include him just because of that. I know it's 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 almost obsessive with it with Joey. Um, let me get over to the David Lee Roth story. So, you meet David Lee Roth. You you see him at this club, and then the next week you plan on going back to the club, and you you make a whole like I've got a plan. You know, you have it a plan. It was like the every Thursday for a very long time plan. The, the book only explains one night, but it went on and on. Right. Yeah. So 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 talk to me about this plan, and then of course you you, you talk in the story about how you wake up. And he gives you a T-shirt, and then he drives you and gets you fresh orange juice and the whole thing. Uh, but you don't really remember much of the night other than that. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that experience. Is it somewhat frustrating that you don't remember it? Is it, is it kind of, well, hey, it's rock and yeah. roll and David Lee Roth. It's what it's supposed to be. It's, yeah, talk to me yeah, about that no, story. I really regret not remembering it. Like, damn. Uh, yeah, I remember being in the back seat of his car making out with him like and Edmund was driving us and um I remember like the building uh, I I was right next to Tower Records behind Spago and the living room floor and waking up and like that where am I and then this arm flip comes around me and this big smile, and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm with David Libra. So, um, yeah, and then, of course, I couldn't even speak. I was like, mm. Then I do the quite opposite at this stage of my life. I talk his ear off, but um, I wish I would have stayed quiet like that girl did. <laughs> but, um, yeah, yeah, I kicked myself for drinking all that whiskey, but I knew I, knew I was drinking the whiskey. I remember it like yesterday. I knew I had decided that was the night. And I went straight up to the bar. I had no business at that age. Now I could handle three shots of whiskey. But back then, I had no business doing three shots of whiskey. And, um, yeah, completely blacked out. Oh, well. <laughs> and, then, and then you wake up and he drives you off and gives you orange juice. Yeah, it was, I, I wish I still had that T-shirt. It was a white Miss Olympia shirt. And he had a little slit cut down the front like everyone used to do in the 80s. Um, I don't know why I got rid of that shirt. She saved it. But, um, yeah. And yeah, he drove me home and and got out the trunk and got a pen and paper and got my number. Never called. 
I was probably well. I, now I'm ruining my whole book, but. Well, see, that, by the way, that's the I one thing. Been, I must have been really lame in bed. I guess I was boring, you know. <laughs> but you know, then I found out all these years later he doesn't remember it either. So at least I wasn't bad in bed. You know, we can blame it on that. No, it's, a, it's, it's, you know, that's the one thing when you do a book interview, you don't want to give everything away, but you also don't want to not talk about it because it's like, well, we're here to, we're here to promote, of course, uh, unrated, uh, in, in terms, and I know that we're going to run out of time because you have another interview coming up in 15 minutes, but, um, in, in terms of, um, Donald Trump, we are, we are recording this on the election night. Um, you took to, to Twitter and reveal stuff and, and said stuff. Was that a, a decision that you would do again? Because you did take some flack, but also you did get some supporters. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that situation. And, you know, what, what do you do with with something like that? Do, do... Uh, I, no, I, I, I wouldn't do it again. Um, when I tweeted it, I was with Barbara. And for some reason, she wanted her story out about her and... Uh, Donald and me and my bright ideas I was like let's tweet about it <laughs> and then uh, but we didn't say exactly what happened with Barbara we were hoping like the press would contact Barbara because we didn't know how to get her story out so I really wasn't trying to uh, reveal Karen and Trump had an affair or I would have straight out tweeted Donald had an affair with Karen I didn't. I just said Donald loves playmates, and I hashed, I included her so she would see it. Um, and at 12 hours later, I swear, in the morning, I woke up and went, Ugh, I should not get involved in such issues. Delete, delete, delete. Well, two, year, two years later, oh, what kind of warped person screen, screenshots them and, and waits two years later and files a court case? Uh, that's somebody who I believe had a plan, a master plan yep. the whole time, because, yeah, they were just they were silly. They were deleted. It was done. And and it, it wound up opening up this whole thing. Um, I, I, yeah, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't do it. Um, but then again, you know, it, everything, one thing leads to another. And it was a catalyst for me writing the book. Um, right. It took all of these other things to make me realize that they don't define me and what does and i'm going to figure that out so i went in search of it and that's sort of how the book was born born and, and it turned out good and, and i'll finish on this uh for for years kiss fans have heard rumors about uh eric's passing and how the band tried to fire him and how they tried to do all kinds of stuff and it, it ended up kind of being distasteful for the lack of a better word and, and you do talk about that in there um Bring me back a little bit to that to that moment in time. I mean, do you look at it as, hey, business is business and you got to do what you got to do? Or do you look at it like, yeah, but he's your body. He's, he's, your, he's your teammate. Um, how do you sort of... I thought it was heartless and cruel. Right. Um, I still do. Uh, it pains me to think of the suffering that they put Eric through because... The man was fighting for his life. Mm -hmm. He was, it w was not a secret. They full well knew um, he was going through chemotherapy and were sending people to harass him, harassing them um, personally uh, to get him to sign the resignation papers. And he refused to do it. And from my point of view, being the girlfriend that was you know, doing positive affirmations with him, and po posting positive affirmations all around his room and trying to get him to read, you know, books like the, Re the relaxation response. Like I was trying to keep him stress free and, and nurse him and be nurturing and help him through this. And I felt that they were undermining me like every step of the way, you know, with their, their negativity. And I wanted him to be positive, to believe he was going to heal, that yeah. he was going to live. And yes, I was extremely angry with them. And um, it took a lot of work on my part since then to get over that anger. Eventually, I decided that I didn't want to live in a place of anger. Right. And I actually prayed for God to, to give them exactly what they have, love in their lives and, and success. And, and, and when you pray for somebody you're angry at, you know, it seems to melt away. 
the anger. And then as I matured over the years, I tend to look at it more like, okay, you know, everybody was doing the best that they could with what knowledge we had at the time. And I think that I can say with all certainty that they regret it. I think if they could go back in time and do things differently, they would. And that's why I say the best they were doing with the knowledge they had at the time. And they were also getting advised by people like Larry Mazur, um, management at the time, yeah. on the choices that they made. So um, I'm not going to blame one person in this. I'm not going to say it was Paul's fault. I'm not just, you know, that it's it was a shitty thing. That yeah. The way they handled it was shitty um, and very sad. And I wouldn't want to be them having that regret. Um, I actually feel sorry for them because they have to live with, that choice that they made. They, and this might be an unfair question, but I'll ask it anyway. You, you say in the book that he had three to five years to live and he dies after eight months. Do you think that that undue pressure, that stress, because we know stress can be very devastating stress, on you. Stress is a killer. Stress is a yeah. killer. I mean, I don't want to say, do you think it led him to his grave sooner, but, but do you think that stress prevented him from healing a little bit? You know, I mean, I'm trying to be as diplomatic as possible, but. Let's put it this way. Yeah. It didn't help. Right. And you just made me cry. Yeah. Oh, I apologize. Well, no, that, that means you're good. That means you're a good journalist. You got to me. Um, but yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. And, and uh, here, I'll finish on this. You are doing an audio book version of this. You've read it. Uh, you're, you're doing that now. You, you've had some emotions. Um, how can I put this? Why is it such an emotional process to read your own book and go through it? Is it just bringing back scars and just bringing back, I, I mean, tears of joy or tears of yeah, pain? I, I cried so many times during my audio book. Uh, um, yeah, the producer kept having to like, stop, let me have a moment, start <laughs> again. But I said, it's good, you know, to hear it in my voice, to hear the emotion. But yeah, I can't be like sobbing during the book but um but yeah I mean it was interesting reading the audiobook out loud because there was parts that I didn't expect to be emotional over like for instance when you hear me tell the story of my uh, being abandoned in pregnancy the way mm -hmm. that I talk about Stephen Herrick ooh, the anger that came out in the tone of my <laughs> yep. voice that I thought I had buried a long time ago um yeah, uh, and my second to the last chapter, I can I had to warn the preacher. I cannot read that. I've read it a thousand times. I can't get through it without crying. That one's that one's too. Uh, well, see that yeah. you can you can uh, you can phone up Joey Casada and have him read it in your voice. So it'll it'll, it'll work. I wonder if Joey has read my book. I don't know even know if he has yet. Uh, well, yeah. actually, I have a meeting with him where I'm going to read it to him for you. So, no, I'm kidding. I love Joe. We love Joey. Joey's the greatest. Uh, listen, I know you have another interview in five minutes, so let's let's wrap it up there. This has been an absolute joy. The book, of course, I will put it up in front of my face. Unrated by uh, Carrie Stevens is definitely worth uh, picking up, and it's not just for Kiss fans. It's not just for Van Halen fans. It's for fans who love a great uh, personal life story, which is what you have. Yes, you know, I, I've been catching up the last few days, uh, I, the whole cast of One Day at a Time. I listened to Mackenzie Phillips' uh, audiobook, which was great, by the way. It was really interesting. And uh, Valerie Bertinelli's, and, you know, I wanted to learn more about Eddie. That's what inspired my One Day at a Time um, weekend that I just had. The rabbit hole of One Day at a Time. Well, hey, and that's, you know what? That's a good life lesson. Just take it one day at a time. That's the way to go through life. Exactly. That's all we that's all we have is today. We certainly on this election day do not know what is going to happen tomorrow. No. Nope. Um, so I don't know when you're planning on airing this, but um it's a little nerve-wracking, a little nerve-wracking. It it is and it's it's also sort of interesting because I'm Canadian, I'm up in Montreal, so I don't I didn't get to vote. I have no I have no horse in the race. So it, it's it's kind of, you know, it's kind of Oh, know. I have one one Canadian friend who called me this morning. She's now a U.S. citizen. She just voted for the first time. I am not going to get political, but I want to send her back to Canada for her Shiba. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, 
Uh, there's a lot of people that voted for Trudeau that I'd love to send to the states. So we'll leave it, <laughs> we'll leave it on that. But let's, let's trade. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you know what? At, at the end of the day, having gone through different presidents from the the Carters to the, eventually it all it all works out. It washes out, but it's it's going to be yeah. an inc- in, it's going to be a very interesting next four years, regardless of who wins. You know, that's that's kind of what I said to my friend who was um, getting political with me, and I I said I'm going to be a little more uh, negative than you. I said. It's going to be that way no matter who wins. Yes. Talking about the economy. I'm like, uh, I think it's going to be bad no matter who wins. <laughs> Can we, okay, not to get into the, the No, but the, 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 COVID, the COVID economy, it doesn't really, it, COVID didn't choose Republican or Democrat or an our, or an ours, uh, liberal or conservative. It's, it's, it's bad for everyone. And exactly. nobody's going to have a, a great plan. I mean, in Quebec, we, we suddenly have, triple digit billion dollar deficit and we were we had a budget surplus before it started and it's just like whoa okay how did that happen you know so yeah. you know you, yeah if i were biden i wouldn't even want the job at this point i'd be like oh boy it's gonna be <laughs> no what you need but to no do well. is uh what you need to do is uh, pick up carrie's book read that in the next four years pick up joey licious for joey casada because we love joey uh yes. you know do that and uh there you go. I loved Joey's uh, life story. Um, oh, Joey's hilarious. Start with a dream. Yeah, I loved his audiobook. My son even walked through the room and he was like, what's this? What are you listening to? Because he really liked it too. So everybody go get Start with a Dream. Never mind Unrated. No, yeah, no, get it. Get Unrated. Oh, Start with a Dream. Uh, Joey Licious is the, is the wrestling thing that he's doing. That's right. But yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, I, I just love to, uh, I love to bust uh, Joey's ball. He's, he's one of the greatest, and uh, so are you. Thank you so much for today. As we say in Montreal, merci beaucoup. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It was great talking with you. Absolutely, and uh, we will see you on Twitter. We will be posting about something later that has to do with rock. Okay, I'll be watching for you. Cheers. Merci. Okay. Bonsoir.